uh, continuing in our series on our purpose statement, finding our place in the story of God. Week number three, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 this week. So if you have your Bibles and you want to join us, turn to Luke 24. If you don't have uh, a Bible with you, that's fine. I will read it and you will be able to keep up with us. Um, pretty incredible story here as we dig in. We're going to take it kind of verse by verse and draw a whole bunch of things out. And um, I think if, uh, if this hits you the way it hits me, uh, I think it's going to be a challenge for us. But uh, any time the Lord lays down a challenge, can we say amen? It's good. It's a good thing. And this will be a challenge for us, finding our place in the story of God. Here we go. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Uh, the context here is Jesus uh, has been crucified and buried. Period. That's where we're at. Okay? Luke chapter 24. Here we go. But, that's where the the, the verse begins this morning. But, okay? Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. Period. Next sentence. But. Okay? Now, but on the first day of the week, something different's going on here. Something shifting. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, who should be this group of women here, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. Okay, so we got a group of women on the first day of the week, early in the morning, they're going to the tomb and they're carrying the spices with them that they had prepared. Do you ever, I, I asked, last week I asked you guys, like, who's a, who's a checklist person? Like, who's got the things on their to-do list and you just like to go through your to-do list and check, check, check. Okay, when these women woke up this morning, they had a mission for their day. It was the biggest thing that they were planning to do today, and it was they were going to go to the tomb, and they were going to find Jesus's body that had just been horrifically mutilated and killed, and they were going to take spices, and they were going to scent and fragrance and anoint his body. That's what they were going to do this morning. That's their mission for the day. That's going to be the checkbox that they're going for. And now as with any like mission that we have, sometimes there's some preparation work that needs to be done before you can actually engage in the thing that you want to do, right? So if they're going to go and anoint Jesus's body and add fragrance or spice to it and clean him up post-crucifixion, well, they earlier, right, this is early in the day when they're leaving to go to the tomb, but probably the day or several days before To prepare for this mission, they had gone around and they had gotten spices and fragrance and oils and all sorts of things to anoint his body. So they had done all the prep work that is required so that they could wake up on this day and go straight to the tomb so that they could anoint his body. Now, it's early in the morning, first day of the week, and they're ready to do their work, anointing Jesus' body. Then go in verse 2. And they arrived at the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went into the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Have you ever had your mission for the day, your plan, the thing that you were attempting to do, and it didn't go the way that you wanted it to go? Is that a frustrating thing for you or not? Right, you've done the preparation work, 
You're all prepped and ready to go. It's the day of. And you're up early and you're ready to step in and to accomplish your task. But if some obstacles get in the way that keep you from doing that work, that can be greatly frustrating for us. I have a sense that these women here are frustrated that the work that they want to do, anointing Jesus' dead body, isn't happening. Now, how do I know that they're frustrated by this? Well, I sneaked ahead and looked at verse 4. Read with me. While they were perplexed about this, pause right there. The word uh, perplexed in the original Greek, I just, I want to take you through the, the definitions of what it means when Luke tells us in the language he's writing in, in Greek, what does it mean that when the women went to the tomb, their mission that day is to anoint Jesus' dead body, they walk into the tomb, he's not there. When Luke says they were perplexed, here's what that means. Perplexed means to be in straits. That's kind of like an older English phrase. Here's what it means to be in straits, perplexed. When you find yourself in a very bad situation that is difficult to fix. So the women walked into the tomb and they were ready to anoint Jesus' dead body and he's not there and they find themselves in straits, meaning Jesus' body is not here. This is a bad situation for us and we don't know how to fix it. So to fix it for them would mean that we actually then get Jesus' dead body so that we can do the thing that we are going to do today. They are perplexed, they are in straits because his body is not there. A very bad situation that is difficult to fix. That's perplexed. Here's the definition continues for perplexed. Number one, to be in straits. Number two, to be left Wanting. The women were left wanting. What did they want? They wanted Jesus' dead body. Okay? I'm just going to keep pushing this just so we're all on the same page here. They were in straits because his body wasn't there. They were left wanting because they wanted his body to be there so they could do what they wanted to do that day. Right? Anoint him. Uh, To be perplexed means to be in straits, to be left wanting, and then here's where the definition continues. To be embarrassed, to be in doubt, and to not know which way to turn. The ladies plan. They've already got the spices. They've already done the prep work. They woke up early. They're going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' mutilated body. They're going to make it look not so bad. And they're perplexed, in straits, embarrassed, in doubt. They don't know what to do because their plan isn't coming to fruition the way that they had designed it. Sometimes God is doing things among us, but we are not quite able to enter into it. God is doing something here in Luke chapter 24 with the empty tomb. And the women are having a hard time entering in. They've got a mission. They've got a plan. And Jesus' body isn't there. And they're not in a good frame of mind because of it. Continue. Second half of verse 4. We'll read the first half again. While they were perplexed 
about this, to be in straits, to be left wanting, to be embarrassed. Oh no, he's not here. What's going on? This is terrible. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. So here at this point in the story, the Lord has to intervene in dramatic fashion. So he sends two warriors of light. He sends two angelic beings, right? But I just want to point out here that that the angelic creature showing up in and around the tomb is not the first intervention that God has performed here in Luke 24. The first intervention is that the tomb was empty, right? We'll call that a dramatic intervention at the hands of God. The fact that Jesus is not there is God intervening in this story, right? But the women did not have the vision to be able to perceive what was going on, right? Jesus not being in the tomb is a positive development in the story, but the women aren't seeing it that way. But that's God's intervention number one. So now, right, to help to help them find their place in the story of God, to shift out of what they want to see happen and to shift into what God is actually doing, God has to send intervention number two, which is the angels showing up in all of their glory. Like, hey guys, got something different going on here, okay? God is intervening on behalf of the women and now I want us to see their response. And just, I keep saying the women, I'm just telling the story as it is. This is not a knock on women. Right, Because next week we're going to see that the guys have their struggles. Actually, if you just keep reading, it's not everybody is struggling with what God is doing, men and women. I just happen to be talking about women here, okay? We live in a weird cultural day. I just want to be clear. Are we good? Is everybody good? Okay, don't get mad at me for saying women from now on. That's just where we are in the story right now. Okay, so the angels show up, right? God intervention number one, Jesus is no longer in the grave. They're not able to enter into the beauty of that. Intervention number two, the angels show up. Now let's see what the response of the ladies here is. And, right, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. That's angels, verse five. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. Okay, so the women's response here is, in verse five, the angels show up, they are frightened. Again, Greek word here is emphabos, or as, as I would want to pronounce it as an English guy is emphobos, phobos, phobo, phobia. Making a connection here? They were, they were frightened. That's our word. It's where we get phobia, right? And what that means here, Luke is just drawing some, dropping some things on us. To be emphabos, or to be in phobia here, is to be thrown into terror and frightened. So God is intervening in the story. God himself is dropping interventions in a changed storyline. And the first thing that happens to the women is they're perplexed at the empty tomb. And the second intervention with the angels is the women are afraid, terrified. That's the response. Right, so the Lord is trying to do something incredibly good. He's twisting the plot lines in a new direction. Wow, this is amazing. The tomb is 
empty. And the women's response is to be perplexed, to be in straits, to be in a very bad situation that is difficult to fix, to be embarrassed and in doubt and to not know which way to turn. His body is not here. And, right, response number two, they are emphabos. They are in phobia. They are terrified and frightened because of this twist in the story that they can't get their heads and their hearts around. Sometimes we just don't have the ability to see what God is doing. Um, Early in my marriage to Megan, just a disclaimer here, my wife is a very brilliant woman. But when Megan and I would watch movies together, a movie is like a developing story and a developing plot line. Like regularly and early on in my relationship with Megan, a a frequent thing would be like we were watching a movie together and I'm in it and I'm tracking with it and I'm loving it. And then Megan would lean over at some point and say, what's going on? What what are they doing? Or like five minutes later, who's that guy? Where'd he come from? Right? Just somehow like Megan wasn't tracking with the plot. And I would get so frustrated because then she would expect me to like break from the story and like explain to her like, well, here's, here's what's going on and here's why that person is doing that thing, right? After a couple times of that, I just gave up. And so Meg would be like, hey, what's going on? I can't engage with you right now. I'm enjoying the story and you need to track with the story on your own, right? Sometimes tracking with a story is not an easy thing for us and the women here are unable right I just want us to see this right I I hope we I, I hope you catch what I'm laying down here it's not me I hope we can catch what Luke guided by the Spirit of God is helping us to see that we have a very difficult time of seeing what God is doing right in front of us Because we can't get past the things that we want done. And they're not the same thing. Verse 5, second half. Here we go. The angels show up. The men said to them, why? Oh, here we go. Yeah. And as the women were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men, the angels said to them, great question here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why, ladies, why are you looking for someone who is alive in a tomb? If someone is alive, we don't go looking in tombs for them. Why are you doing this? Right? Again, the women's goal, their mission Check the box. Let's accomplish this thing. They've already prepared for it. The goal today was to find Jesus' mutilated and still dead body and make it seem not so horrifying. And that was a noble goal according to what they understood at this point in the story. I honor them for this. The men aren't doing it. They are. But their goal was to find Jesus' dead body and make it seem not so horrifying. What God had for them today was to find Jesus' fully alive body. And when I say fully alive, I mean like beyond the life that you and I have this morning. 
Like if I were to try to walk through that wall right now, I'm going to find myself bumping all parts of my body into the wall and it's going to hurt. But like we know from the resurrection account that Jesus' resurrection life, his resurrection body, he's, he could just walk right through it. Jesus is more fully alive than they knew him to be seven days ago. He's not just walking in like human life, he's walking in his divine resurrection life here. So I just want to make that contrast one more time. The women wanted to find Jesus' dead body and make it seem not so horrifying. What God wanted them to find was Jesus' resurrected, full-on, alive self. That's what he wants to lead them into today. Today, the women wanted to find death and make it not so ugly. He wanted the women to find life that would bring them fully alive. How often is Luke chapter 24 true of us? Unfortunate answer? All the time. All the time. Which is why our, our church's invitation to all is come join us. Let us find our place in the story of God. Because when we don't do that, the best that you and I can come up with is what the women are seeking to do today. The best we can come up with is to take something that is essentially dead and try to spice it up just a little bit. That's what we can do. That's as far as our vision goes. That's as big as our heart can wrap around a concept. Take something that's essentially dead and make it appear a little bit less of being dead. Just a couple of examples here. Um, My oldest daughter went to the homecoming football game of our local school and she was there. One of the fun things that the students did is they all wore white t-shirts that night. I'd never heard of this. Maybe you have. They called it a, uh, a white lie, white t-shirt night, where you wear a white t-shirt and you write on it a little white lie about yourself. Haha, ha, it's, it's supposed to be funny, right? And as, as, uh, sorry, as my oldest daughter was there at the football game, like reading these white shirts with little white lies on them, just a, a couple of like um, horrible things written on young people's shirts. One of them was this, um, a, a young High school girl had a white shirt. Here's the little white lie. It said, I have a dad. Right? Um, and a side note is, she, she was surrounded by a group of young men. Right? Just, just make the connection. Just see it for what it is. I don't have a dad. So here's what's going on. This, uh, this young girl is taking maybe one of the deepest, darkest, most painful parts of her life. Let's call it dead. I I never had a dad. I never had a father to father me and to love me and guide me and speak value over me, right? And And she writes this deep, dark truth upon herself as a little white lie. I I I have a dad, right? Um, and the the best that she can come up with there regarding this deep, dark, dead part of her life is to maybe get a little ha ha out of it among her friends. I don't have a dad, haha. It's like taking Jesus' mutilated body and spicing it a little bit. It's as far as she can get. She doesn't know how to go from, oh, I, have a, I don't have a dad, and actually experiencing resurrection life on the other side of that. It's, yeah, I don't have a dad, haha. Let's all laugh together, right? Here's another one. And I apologize for this. I, th- this is probably not like 
culturally appropriate for church settings, but this was like a young woman in our city who wore this to a football game, and it's public. These things are out there, right? She wrote, Little White Lie, she wrote on her shirt, I am not a hoe. And she's wearing that in front of a stadium full of people. Her little white lie, I am not a hoe. Ah, to take a deep, dark, tragic truth about herself and some decisions that she has made, some patterns that she is walking in, and everybody knows it, including her, to take that part of her that is dead. The only thing that she knows how to do with that dead part of herself is to just add a little bit of spice to it. Ha, 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 ha. Let's all laugh about it. That's as far as we can get, friends. This is exactly what the women are doing at the tomb. Taking something that is dead and trying to make it seem less so. That's what we can do. It's not good enough. Or let's put it in the context of the scriptures. Remember um, the iconic story, 1 Samuel. The Israelites find themselves in the promised land, but they're surrounded by Philistines. Right? You guys know we, we reference this story often because it is so good. But they're surrounded by the Philistines and they're being tyrannized by them. They're not experiencing the shalom, full, flourishing life in the promised land because they've got enemies all around them. And so we find ourselves, I think it's 1 Samuel 15, 16 ish, where the Israelites have drawn up the battle lines. Their warriors are here on one side and the Philistine warriors are on the other side of the valley. And, and um, here's the situation in the Israelite army, right? I'll just, I'm just going to remind you of some words that we used of the women. Um, the Israelite soldiers were perplexed, right? Because the context here is uh, Goliath, the champion of Gath, of the Philistines, had been coming out morning and night for 40 days and taunting uh, the army of God's people. Like, essentially saying, you guys are losers. Is there not a man among you? Is no one willing to come fight? You guys are pathetic. And all the Israelites, their, their best answer is, Uh, it'd be crickets. There's no, there's no response because the Israelites know that he's telling the truth. They're all freaked out, right? So the Philistines are tyrannizing the Israelites and here's in this place in the story, the Israelites will say they are perplexed. Here's what perplexed means. Remember, to be in straits, which means to be in a very bad situation that is difficult to fix, to be left wanting, to be embarrassed, to be in doubt, to not know which way to turn. Does that describe the armies of God's people as the Philistines and particularly Goliath is coming against them? Absolutely, 100%. Here's another word that we saw from the women at the resurrection site, unable to enter in. It's emphabos, phobia, to be thrown into fear and to be terrified. Were God's Chosen army warriors, were they emphabos? Were they terrified and were they frightened? Yes, they were. So the same thing that these women are experiencing, right? The Israelite soldiers, 100% same emotional space. That's where they are. 40 days of perplexed and 40 days of phobia on top of like months and years of that. It's not just that the 40 days were that, but the 40 days were more like centrally pointed because you're actually waiting on the eve of a battle and you got their champion just taunting you, making fun of you. It's not looking good. And so now, here's what we're good at doing. Right? We'll call this a deathly situation. It's like living in death. 
Your heart is beating, you're breathing, but essentially all of the Israelites are, they're just dead, right? They're in fear, they're terrified, they're in straits, they're perplexed. It's not a good, it's not a good way to be alive, more akin to death, okay? Now, what is the greatest hope that the Israelites have every single day when they wake up and the Philistines are staring at them and Goliath comes out and taunts them? Well, as I've read the story multiple times, here's the greatest two things that I can come up with regarding the the hope that the Israelite soldiers have. Number one is this, to just stay alive. Do the best we can to keep our heart beating and to keep our lungs filled with breath. Don't get into a fight with these guys. Just try to eke out another day of dismal existence. Let's just keep our physical selves alive. Do whatever we can to do that. For sure, don't go fight them. Let's just keep hiding in the rocks and in the clefts that we are in. Let's just stay alive. But here's hope number two. And this isn't going to make sense until I describe it. But hope number two is while they're emphabos in fear and while they are perplexed to be in straits, maybe as they keep alive every now and then, maybe they'll get DoorDash. Maybe, maybe somebody will send a quarter pounder to the front lines and it will just be a little more tolerable. Maybe somebody will send a pizza. Brian, what are you, what are you saying? Well, remember in the story when little David, the shepherd boy, shows up, what does he come with? He comes with food. He's the DoorDash guy. He shows up with food for his brothers and there's probably other little brothers and sisters being sent to the front lines with little treats for the soldiers. And what they're just trying to do is just keep breath in their lungs even though they're living in a deathly existence. Let's just stay alive and maybe tomorrow we'll get a quarter pounder. That's the best they got. That's it. That's as far as their minds can fathom. How do we make things better? That's the story that they are attempting to write among themselves. What they're trying to do is to take a situation of death and make it seem not quite as horrifying as it really is. But what is God looking to do in that situation Well, what God is looking to do is the same thing he's doing in Luke chapter 24. He's looking to bring a resurrection. He's looking to bring a whole quantitatively and qualitatively different sort of aliveness than any of the Israelite soldiers can fathom. And what happens is, is that the little DoorDash delivery boy, David, actually is the one who provides the resurrection. He goes out, he challenges Goliath, but before he does, his brothers say, you prideful little punk, who do you think you are? They can't see what's going on here. They can't see the divine intervention that the Lord is offering. All they can do is make fun of it. And then Saul, the king, all Saul sees is, well, you can't do it. Here, take my armor. You do this the way I would do it. I'm not doing it, but you do it the way I would do it. Nobody can see that God is sending an intervention in the story. Because there's only so far that we are able to go with taking death and making it seem not so bad. Resurrection life does not compute for our normal operating processes. What we're good at doing is sin management. 
We want to take our horrifying or dark or bleak existence and we want to make it not so bad. When what God is looking to do, Romans 12, is to bring a metamorphosis, a whole new way of being alive. Call it resurrection life. Question is this morning, friends, whose story are we living in? Do we wake up every single morning trying to take a bleak, dark existence and make it not quite so bad? Or do we wake up every morning saying, resurrection life is mine. God, you are near. Let's step into the metamorphosis today. Let's do it. What are we living? Finding our place in the story of God. It is no easy task, friends. It does not come easily for us. But when it comes, it is good. Verse 6. The angels say to the women who were frightened, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you keep walking in the land of death and bleakness? He wants you to find life today. Verse 6. They continue. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, he said, this is what he said, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Did you know that God is always doing something better than you think he is doing? 100% of the time, whatever you think he's doing, He's probably not doing it exactly like that, but the way that your conception of what he's doing and what he's doing, he is always doing something better, 100% of the time. Do you believe that? I'm asking myself, I've been asking it all week, do I believe that? What God is seeking to do here Actually, yeah, let me give some historical context. That God is always seeking to do something better. Luke chapter 24. Historical context is the disciples were eager for Jesus to be their Messiah, their anointed one, their king. Because they conceived, this is as far as their minds and their hearts could take them. They conceived that Jesus was going to come in the pattern of David, the great warrior king. And that Jesus was going to push the Romans out of geographic Israel, set them free from their oppressor, and that Jesus was going to make Israel great again. And by that, I do not mean any political weird things. Don't send me any emails. I'm just telling you what they wanted. The disciples wanted Jesus to sit on an earthly throne in Jerusalem that was plush and powerful. And they wanted complete autonomy over Israel. They wanted Israel to get the gold medal again. They wanted the golden age ushered in where there was peace and there was economic flourishing, where there is joy in the land. That is what they longed for. Kick Rome out and make Israel great. And I just want to say there's nothing wrong with that desire. But if that is their only desire, here's essentially what they wanted. They wanted to take something that is dead themselves, dead in their trespasses and in their sins. They wanted to take their personal deadness 
and make it more tolerable by not having the Romans here, by having more things, by having greater esteem in the eyes of the world powers. They were fine to walk in their trespasses and sins in the deadness of their heart, but have more creature comforts around them. They wanted to take their death and make it seem not so horrific anymore. Make it just a bit better. Because without the cross, that's exactly what they get. They're still in their trespasses, still in their sins. What God wanted to do was, we'll say, infinitely more than what they wanted. What Jesus wanted to do was to take all of their sin, all of their shame, and all of their brokenness and put it squarely on his shoulders. And he wanted to go to the cross and to have the opportunity to lay his life down so that he could forgive us, give us a new heart, and adopt us back into the family of God that we had walked away from. So yeah, Jesus absolutely went to his throne, 100%. He was always going to make it to the throne. It's just the throne looked way different than what everybody thought it would look like. The throne looked very different than everyone wanted it to look. Jesus was not going to a plush throne in the center of Jerusalem. Where he was going to go, his throne was going to be the cross. Remember the moniker above the cross? Behold, the king of the Jews. You want to know what it looks like for Jesus to get enthroned on his royal throne? Here's what it looks like. That's where he went. Jesus says, I am your king. I am reigning over you with joy and gladness. Let me do this. Because your problems run much deeper than you think. The major problem here is not Rome. It's not your lacking of all the things that you want. Your major problem here is I'm I'm dealing with it. Let me do it. Let me be on this throne and trust me on this throne. He is always doing more than we think he is. But he doesn't just give us his death. He doesn't just give us his sacrifice, but then uh, Luke 24, he, he erupts out of the tomb on the third day. And his death on the cross is ours and all the things I described, but his resurrection out of the tomb is also ours. New life, forgiven and free, being healed, the Spirit of God now having entrance and access to us because Jesus has gone back to the Father. Resurrection life metamorphosis, flourishing. It is now ours because Jesus went to the right throne and he didn't stay in the tomb. He's always doing more. Verse 8, and the women then remembered Jesus' words. They remembered that he said, yeah, I'm going to be killed by men. I'm going to go into the tomb. I'm going to rise. Jesus said, specifically and clearly and right through the front door in no cryptic language. He told them what he was going to do before he did it. But we don't have the capacity to receive what God is saying because he's always doing so much more than we think he's doing. Does not compute, does not compute. Right In athletics, we talk about an athlete's instinct. Some athletes have good instincts, some have bad. But we have an instinct for where we think 
the game is going and what we think we need to do in this situation. It is utterly humorous to see the life and spiritual and emotional instincts that disciples of Jesus have and how off we so regularly are. Our instinct is to be able to anticipate a dead storyline that gets less bad over time. We have a hard time with resurrection plot twists in the story. And that's, that's kind of the only story that he likes to write. Did. So he can tell us things that are so great. I will die, but I will rise. And all the things that go with that. But we can't fathom it. So we forget it. He gives us glimpses regularly and often into the full life he has for us. But all we can handle is taking dead things and making them less bad. And the only way out of this is that we would recognize that his story is better. And that we would then position our hearts to seek to find our place in the story of God. And all of the resurrection life that that is. And it's so different than whatever you had planned for today and for the rest of your life. But it's an open invitation. Band, come on back up. We're going to keep singing. I want to pray for us this morning. Just as a humorous aside, this morning I was jogging. You guys know that I'm running and exercising again. Good for me, right? Well done, Brian. And uh, this morning I, I went for my run and I um, I got to the the end of it. I think I I don't know. I think I'd gone like two and a half miles. And when I got to the end of it, like, I'm, like, ruminating over all of this, as I have been all week. Just, like, powerfully, like, just confronted with the truth and the glory and the goodness of God. And as I got to my ending point, uh, I felt like the Lord was saying, like, no, Brian, resurrection life. Like, you thought you could only go this far. You think you're at the end of yourself. Resurrection life. And so there's this gate that I, like, get to the end of my run, and I touch it, and I'm done. And this morning, I literally, I got to the gate, and I touched, and I said, resurrection life! And I turned around, and I kept going. And I got another mile, 1.3 in. And that, that last 1.3 felt better than the two and a half previous, right? And um, I think that he has things for us here. That we wouldn't just take things that aren't great, and try to make them less bad. But he really wants resurrection life across the board for us. And he's got it, and he's inviting us into it. We have to have eyes to see it and a heart to discern it, and then the courage and the faith to say, yes, Lord, I want that. I want that. So guys, you can, you can start playing. I'm going to pray, and then we're... We're all just going to start singing. We're going to erupt in resurrection life song. Can we do that? Father in heaven, thank you so much that you are doing more. You're never doing less than we think. Forgive us for believing that you are as lame of a story writer as we are. Forgive us for believing that your... um, Your invitation for us is to take things that are lame and mostly dead and to make them just a little bit more comfortable. God, forgive us because that's what we do every single day. That's how we wake up. That's our posture. 
And Father, we confess that we don't know how to get out of this. We need your interventions. We need you to show us the empty tomb. We need the angels to show up and to just arrest our attention and to point out the fact that you are doing something different, that what I had planned isn't enough and that you've got an invitation for all of us into something that is radically and totally new and good. Father, this is what we want to follow you into because this is the only thing that you do. So Father, now, even as we sing, I pray that your spirit would run wild in the place. That you would arrest our attention. That you would reinvigorate our hearts to not think bigger stories than what we can conceive of, but to seek and to knock and to ask and to find and to join you in what you're doing. Because that's where resurrection life is for us. Father, would you give us all that we need to join you where you are, with you, following in your steps. We're going to keep wandering aimlessly unless you do something massively powerful among us, resurrection kind of power. Would you do that among us even as we sing, Father? Awaken our hearts to you and to what you're doing in our lives around us and among us. It's in the powerful name of the resurrected King that we pray. Amen.